So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 again this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21. So if you'll turn with me please to Colossians 3. So Owen concentrated on uh, Colossians 3, verses 11 through 17, two Sundays ago, and we had a message last Sunday that was dedicated to uh, communion and focused on that. But that previous message covered the godly attributes of the new self, and that was described in verse 10. And this was in contrast to the earthly evil behaviors of the old self, described in verse 9 and listed in the preceding passages of verses 5 through 9. So to maintain context, we're going to review the old self versus the new self behaviors, and then we're going to pick up at verse 18. This ending section of chapter 3 starts by outlining the responsibilities in our family relationships and ends with slavery or work relationships. Now, we'll be concentrating on the family relationships in today's study. I told Owen I, I'd planned on going through the end of the chapter uh, today, but I didn't quite get that far. Uh, it was basically, I guess in a sense, I was spirit-led of not so fast. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to spend some time in this, in this area. Um, <clears throat> so, although today's expository message is centered on a group of verses, uh, and they're presented in context, it's still subject to error because uh, I'm, I'm here and I'm speaking, so uh, I can contribute errors to that. So I try to focus on God's word, but there's, there's always the opportunity to introduce errors. So as we systematically approach this, approach this passage of scriptures, and we're not going to skip any difficult uh, verses, uh, p- please be a Berean, and we've talked about this many times. We find the Bereans... In Acts 17, verses 10 through 11, I'll read this uh, passage. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And we'll focus on the, uh, last, that last phrase or that last half a sentence. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they were looking at the teaching of Paul and Silas and were comparing it against the word. And of course, we need to do that as well. The Bereans were commended for doing that and that's an example of what we should be doing. Let's go back and review the old self versus the new self. And uh, this was in the preceding verses of chapter 3. And... uh, It's been very well covered uh, in previous teachings, but I just want to hit the the behaviors, the so-called old self behaviors, and these are things that are to be put to death. And this is a list of 11 items. And so these are things we need to get out of our life. Uh, First one is sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is equal to idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech, and lies. 
And it's, as Owen had said, that's not an exhaustive list, but these are things we should not have in our life. And if we do, we need to get them out. Scripture says we need to put those things to death. Instead, we need to move into new self-behaviors. And these are things that are to be renewed. Other places in Scripture, these are described as gifts of the Spirit. And this is also a list of 11 items. It's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, the peace of Christ, thankfulness, which is listed twice, the word of Christ that it would dwell within, and teaching and admonishing. So again, these are behaviors we need to be bringing in and absorbing and uh, making these uh, dominant in our life and kicking these other things out. <clears throat> and Owen did a very good job of explaining what all those, all those different words putting those things into context, what those different behaviors meant. But the reason, uh, the reason I wanted to look at those before we move into the study is to give us some context of things we need to take out and things that we need to be uh, renewing. So let's look at the passage we're going to uh, focus on today, which is Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. It's a fairly short passage of scripture, but we're going to be looking uh, for context to go into, uh, we'll be going into Ephesians and into 1 Peter to help us understand that, and that's Context is one of those uh, topics that's been taught in the Sunday night studies on uh, fundamentals of faith. Context can be within a passage you're looking at, the verses in there, but context can also be found in other books of the Bible where the same wording or same topic is being uh, discussed. So uh, we're going to focus first on Colossians 3, verses 18 through 19, which is responsibilities in marriage. And we'll be spending a fair amount of time in this, uh, on these two verses. So let's reread those verses again. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. And we're looking at these verses together <clears throat> because it really uh, captures the responsibilities with our spouses and shows it as a two-way street. There's behavior on both parts, on both the part of the, the wife and the part of the husband, there are expectations or instructions that are given to us. And so we've already looked at the preceding verses to get some context in terms of today's message. And we can see um, that this set of family instructions follows after the instructions to embrace the gifts of the Spirit and to throw out those things or put to death the acts of the flesh. So the idea in Paul's teaching is he's identified those things that need to be done away with and then shown behaviors that need to be embraced and renewed within us. And now he's going into this, he's going into this teaching on family responsibilities and behavior. And so that's, that's an intentional thing because we can't be in a proper husband-wife relationship if we're living in the flesh. We have to be living... In those, in those attributes of the Spirit. If we're in the flesh, we're going to have those things such as anger that are going to be intruding, intruding into our relationship. And as we discussed, 
uh, before in terms of teaching that we don't skip over difficult verses or passages. This is certainly one of them, and it's considered controversial uh, because, of the, because of its content. But let's, rather than skipping over it, we're going to address the first part of verse 18, which is, wives, be subject to your husbands. And just uh, something to consider, if we're ever offended by God's teaching about there being an order in the family or something else, we need to look at ourselves and see that uh, in our heart, are we walking in the flesh or are we walking in the spirit? And uh, so if this is an instruction that doesn't appeal to our flesh and is out of step with our modern culture, is it supported by teaching in God's word? I mean, we see it here in uh, in one verse or a partial verse, but um, how is it further developed elsewhere? And this is the idea of context. So we do see a fuller development of the husband-wife relationship in Ephesians where Paul compares it to the relationship between Jesus and the church. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we're going to look at a long passage here. It's Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, subject yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does for the church because we are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So let's hold on to this passage, if you would, mentally. Uh, while we uh, return to consider Colossians 3, 8 through 19. So we find that the brief statement that Paul makes in Colossians 3, 8, 19, the intent is to establish order in the Christian family, and it's more fully fleshed out in this passage in Ephesians 5. Uh, but um, if you fe- the first half of verse 18 in Colossians is taken out of context, it could be viewed as an opportunity for husbands to think they're in a dictatorship. And this is clearly not the case, as we see Paul grounds his teaching in Colossians 3.18 at the end with the phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. So it's not as in fitting as we see, but as is in fitting with the Lord. 
And uh, we see a fuller development of what that means in this passage we're looking at in Ephesians right now. Um, so let's, let's return there and note that uh, there's a similar opening phrase in verse 22 where it's, it starts out, wives, subject yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. And uh, we see that this is comparable to the phrase that ends verse 18, as is in fitting to the Lord. <clears throat> so Paul is clearly speaking on the same subject here in both places, but he's uh, expanding more in terms of what he's, what he's driving at here in Ephesians, Colossians being a much, a much shorter letter. So among the things we see in Ephesians, our husbands are to show a greater love to their wives and they're to follow the model of Jesus' sacrificial love for his church. And we find that in Ephesians 5.25. We'll reread that verse. Husband, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what did Christ do for the church? He went to the cross, didn't he? He died on the cross. He gave his life uh, for us, for the church, which is us. And so we're to follow that model as husbands, we're to have that sort of love for our wives. So the passage in Colossians 3 is not about who's in charge or who has the greater responsibility. It's about humility and showing love towards one another. And we see Jesus constantly modeled that behavior of that, that behavior of humility and looking to serve and show love towards others. So husbands and wives, this is not an optional behavior. We're being directed by the Holy Spirit in Scripture to behave this way towards one another. So there's no question on this, on this topic. Um, further instruction we find in 1 Peter. And uh, let's turn there. We're going to look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'll give a couple minutes for you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not only be the external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel, but it should be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the holy women of former times, who hoped in God, also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Your husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that her prayers will not be hindered. So uh, a couple of points here within this passage as we, we look at uh, what God's expectations are as spoken through the Holy Spirit through Peter. And uh, 
we see this could, be, this could be certainly be a tough situation. What Peter is describing here at the beginning is having a husband who is not, who is not uh, saved or not walking with the Lord. And uh, the answer is not to go out and get a divorce, but to stay, to stay in that relationship and demonstrate God's love uh, through her behavior. And this is, this is hard and this is not a popular teaching. This certainly flies in the face of what's, what's taught in the world today. Uh, the secular, secular society wouldn't, uh, wouldn't endorse this, just as Ray's, Ray's instruction about uh, Genesis the idea of creation is also not accepted. So much teaching is not accepted or not popular. But uh, they are commended for that. These, these wives are commended for that in this, in this discussion. But as we look at this, we might think this passage is only directed to wives. But take careful note of uh, verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3. and Because this, this is a parallel instruction to Colossians 3 verse 19. We'll read Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and not become bitter against them. And then 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So let's think particularly about the last part of that sentence so that your prayers will not be hindered. Who would want to be found in a better relationship as is described in Colossians and then uh, where our prayers are hindered? Yeah, what would be the consequences to us and our families if our communication with God is hindered? You know, what does that mean? We have nothing, do we? If we can't, if we don't have full communication in a relationship with God, we're in big trouble. So we need, to, we need to keep this in mind as these instructions are, are given out. It's not all one-sided. Someone isn't being lectured on what they, what they should do. There is a two, it's a two-way street, just as uh, I described earlier. So we could look at things of uh, this aspect of authority or responsibility, but we need to keep in mind that with greater authority comes greater responsibility. And this is an expectation of God, and we're going to look at two examples of that, of God's expectations of those that he's appointed. And maybe we haven't quite looked at this this way before, but we're going to be in Genesis. Ray was there this morning too, but we're going to be in Genesis 3, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 11, if you would turn there, please. Genesis chapter 3. Okay, beginning in verse 8 of Genesis 3. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid, himself, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord, the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
And we'll stop there. The context, of course, here, this is the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh, they've taken of the forbidden fruit and have eaten from it. And the, they're now they're starting to deal with the consequences. But Scripture here reveals that after the sin in the Garden of Eden, God confronted Adam and filed the charge of sin against him first. I mean, he did it with questions, but he's calling Adam out first. Um, and we might think, well, why is that? Didn't God know what had happened? I mean, didn't he know that Eve had sinned first? Was that fair? Of course he knew what had happened, and of course it's fair because God had appointed this authority structure. So even though there's a classic thing of uh, blame storming afterwards where Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and there are consequences for them all, but Adam is called to account first. Um, and that is, uh, and when God meets out punishment for the sin, he reaffirms this author- his authority structure or the God-husband and wife relationship and the consequences of their actions. So we're gonna drop further down this passage to verses, Genesis 3, verses 16 and 17. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. So in these consequences or punishment for sin, we see that part of Eve's consequence was being subject to her husband's authority. As God says, he shall rule over you. And, but we also see that Adam was called out for putting his wife ahead of obedience to God because he said, you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree from which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. So they are both, uh, obviously both at fault and they both have consequences. So another example of the consequences of greater authority being equal to greater responsibility is found in the New Testament in the parable of the talents and we find this in Matthew. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 please. Matthew 25, and we're going to be looking uh, at groups of verses beginning at verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. The one who had received five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. In the same way, the one who received two talents earned two more. But he who had received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So we're going to skip down to verse 22. So the verses in between describe the outcome of the man who received the five talents. 
but the description here uh, in verse 22 is very similar. Also the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And the, again, in the in-between verses, there was a similar outcome with the man who had earned five talents. Now we come to the, uh, the one who had received one talent. Verse 25, and this is the man who had had one talent speaking. And I was afraid, so I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See what you still have, it is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave. We'll stop there and skip to verse 30. And this is the description of the consequences. And throw the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the, not only did this person lose the, the one talent that God had given him, it was given to the man who had ten. He was also cast out. But uh, in looking at this, we see, find that God granted different abilities to the three men in this parable. Let me call attention to, to verse 15 the phrase, each according to his own ability. So God gave one man five talents, another one two, and another one one, based on their abilities. Uh, with, that, with those abilities, though, also came matching responsibilities. God didn't expect the man with two talents to produce five, and he didn't expect, vice versa, he didn't expect the man with five talents to only produce two. They were supposed to use what they were given, what they were responsible for. And that's why the two men were commended, the first two were commended for properly using their authority and exercising responsibility while the third one was condemned. And this is the scary part of authority and responsibility is uh, we like, as, uh, as human beings, we like recognition. Uh, we like a lot of things, but this is, a, this is something we need to keep in mind. When God gives us a responsibility, he gives us authority, there's an expectation that comes with that, and he holds us accountable for that. <clears throat> so we've spent most of our time this morning in uh, carefully and closely examining verses 18 through 19 and the supporting context. Now we're going to move into the, uh, the last pair of verses we're going to look at this morning, and this is Colossians 3, verses 20 through 21. So if you return to that passage, please. Colossians 3, verses 20 through 21, and this is the children and parent responsibilities. We'll reread these two verses. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children, so they will not become discouraged. So we're looking at these verses as a pair uh, because they close out uh, the family responsibilities. And as Nick talked about Wednesday night in the men's study, it's, it's pretty neat the way this kind of circles around and ties back together <clears throat> to where it started at because it goes um, wife, husband, children, and then back to, back to responsibilities, and particularly with the father, as we see in verse 21. So note that in verse 20, there are no limitations uh, to the child's obedience. And so... 
the, I mean, there's a number of reasons for that, that it's written this way, but one of the aspects is that when parents are embracing the gifts of the Spirit, they've put to death or put aside all these things of the flesh, they're going to be living in the Spirit, and the instruction is going to be proper, and so the children are to obey their parents in everything, as it, as it says in the Word. Um, a questioning attitude is not required. That's one of those things that's popular in the world today is that, oh, you need to question everything that's thrown at you. This is a case where there isn't any questioning called for. It's uh, obedience is what's called for. And we see that obedience pleases God, as it says. This is pleasing to the Lord. But we also see the promise of long life in Exodus, which is where this command, the commandment comes originally. Exodus 20, verse 12, I'll go ahead and read this. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So uh, this is, a, again, a context verse that supports the teaching that uh, Paul's uh, laying out here in Colossians. But think for a minute about how the inverse is true. Uh, just as the commandment says to obey your parents, what a dis- so the opposite would be disobedience. In Exodus Instead of honoring your father and mother, the opposite would be disrespect. What would be the consequences of that? Well, it's logical to think it'd be the exact opposite of what's called out in Scripture. It would not please God, and there would not be long days. And so um, we see, however, there's a balance in this in terms of uh, parental discipline. In verse 21, fathers do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. We see that responsibility resides with the husband or the father. And so if the father allows flesh-centered behavior such as anger or abusive speech to intrude into discipline, it can cause discouragement and rebellion. The word antagonize can also be translated as do not provoke to anger. So rather than harsh or angry correction, we see that more fully developed as it needs to be spirit-led discipline. We see this, in, again, in Ephesians 6, 4. I will read this. You don't need to turn there. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> so we see, uh, again, further development in Ephesians of this teaching that's in Colossians. But just consider for a moment have you noticed that when anger is expressed, not only is it contagious, but it's really caustic, like, like pouring acid out. Uh, not much good comes from anger, and it's really difficult for us to express anger in a righteous way. I know the, uh, one of the children's teachings was on Jesus turning over the tables, the money changers' tables in the temple. Um, that was Jesus expressing righteous anger. Jesus could do that. Uh, I can't. I mean, maybe there are people here that can express righteous anger and praise God if you can. I know I can't, so I need to stay away from anger. <clears throat> it, won't, it won't help me in what I'm trying to do. And so, uh, if our correction as fathers creates an angry child, how receptive are they going to be to godly discipline and instruction? You know, when you're angry, what do you, I mean, are you willing to listen to things? I mean, generally you have your back up and you're not going to be willing to take things on, uh, to take on instruction. So we're going to close uh, and stop here today.
And so uh, the next message will uh, begin at Colossians 3.22. In this passage, the remainder of chapter 3 transitions from family relationships to slavery or work relationships. So as we close, um, I confess it was a very humbling and convicting task to explore these relationships and uh, these teachings on responsibilities in the family. I felt, I felt very convicted as I, went, as I went through here and looked at these things. So I hope you found uh, today's message instructive. Lord, we thank you for this day and thank you for uh, this house you've provided for us to meet in, the opportunity to worship you in song and for this time in your word, Lord. And I just pray that uh, uh, those things that were brought forth today, uh, Lord, that those things were, that were of you would stay with us, Lord, and we would uh, continue to consider those things and those things that were in error, Lord, would just stay here in this room and just join the dust on the floor. And uh, thank you, Lord. For this time, we thank you for your written word. Even at times where the instructions are, are difficult and convicting, we thank you for that also. In Jesus' name, amen.